Welcome to X's and O's with your hosts, Greg Cassell and Doug Farrar. Good Tuesday morning, everyone. This is Doug Farrar, editor of Touchdown Wire and the uh, USA Today Sports Media Group. Uh, to my to my left, to my right, on your I always get this confused every week. It's kind of obnoxious. <laughs> uh, anyway, the guy over there in the NFL uh, is that films. Oh, NFL films, yeah, NFL films, which is where you are I would, in Mount yes. World, New Jersey, where uh, I always am. Yes, uh, Greg Cosell of uh, NFL Films and ESPN's NFL Matchup. And in today's X's and O's video slash podcast slash series of articles, Greg, we're going to talk about, I love this, this is one of my favorite things to do every year, uh, scheme fits for different draft prospects, the best marriages of uh, former NCAA players with their new NFL team. So we've got a few guys to talk about. I wanted to start with, and this is the most obvious one, Anthony Richardson going to the Colts and Shane Steichen's offense. If we didn't talk about this, it would be kind of weird. So, uh, Well, you know, it's funny you say that because obviously, uh, as you do, as I do, we evaluate these players before the draft. Right. Um, we do not know who is going to draft them. You can read all kinds of rumors. I mean, all those things are rumors, all kinds of mock drafts. Uh, but you never know until the draft happens. Um, so here's was the last line I typed in my transition, Doug. I'm going to just read the last line. Um, and I just want to reiterate that obviously I watched him well before the draft. Right. I said, I could see Richardson early in his career working in an offense similar to the Eagles offense with Jalen Hurts with multiple run game concepts that start with the quarterback and a pass game that works off the run game with defined reads and throws given the greater predictability of defense of defensive alignments and coverages. So that's the last thing I typed in my transition for Anthony Richardson, which I probably typed two months ago. Right. Um, and then, of course, he gets drafted by the Colts, uh, and their head coach was, amazingly enough, the offensive coordinator for the Eagles last year. Hmm. Go figure. Yeah, and then uh, he said uh, – uh, Steech- is it Steichen or Steichen? I want to get this right. Steichen. Steichen, okay. Uh, that's a good question that definitely helps. Steichen said when asked how Richardson's running ability raises his floor – when a guy can run and add that element to your offense, it's a big plus. It puts stress on defenses, and obviously he has that capability. I just wouldn't sleep on his throwing ability either. That ball comes out pretty now. He can spin it. He's got a huge arm, and he's made some huge plays in the pass game. We're excited to work with him. Um, I know, I mean, you're, you're <coughs> eagle stuff all the time, so I know you, you're very familiar with that run yeah. game. Um I was looking at different concepts. Like there was a thing I tweeted last week about uh, Richardson running QB power and Jalen Hurts running QB power, and it was like the same play. Uh, there, there's a lot of similarities there. Well, and it all starts with this fact. Keep in mind that when you have a quarterback like that, now we're talking, of course, normal down and distance situations. We know everything is different on third down, third right. and long, that is. But in normal down and distance situations, first and 10, second and five, with the quarterback being a significant part of the run game and, and the start really in a sense, the starting point of the run game, not the back, the, the, the quarterbacks, the starting point, what happens is defensively a number of things. Number one, the safety to the side of the back, because the backs all, all almost always offset, you know, you're not going to see Richardson under center hardly at all. You're going it's to like, see him It's gun. pretty much offset pistol the whole time, right? Right. So it's yeah. so the back is offset. It's kind of a shotgun. The back is offset. 
So the safety to that side is the extra quarterback player to the side of the back. Has to be because, you know, you're playing 11 on 11 now. You're not, you know, the quarterback is a factor. So you're playing 11 on 11. So with the safety having, in a sense, a significant run responsibility, particularly let's say it's single high. If it's single high with eight in the box, that deep safety, he's the extra quarterback player. So what that does is that now creates opportunities in the pass game because you understand as an offense what that means and now the kinds of ways in which you can attack with your route concepts because you know that that safety is starting to kind of move up a little bit and he's also cheating to the side of the offset bat. So it just creates, by NFL standards, relatively simpler pass game concepts for the quarterback to master early in his career, which is exactly what happened with Philly and Jalen Hurts. And then then you add receivers, great receivers, and you get a lot of one-on-one matchups. Now, we'll see how it all plays out with the Colts, but from a tactical perspective, that's what you're going to get. Yeah, I sent you an article I did on Scheme Fits and I had Richardson in there. There was one, uh, there was a deep pass, a vertical pass that Richardson threw against South Carolina where the deep safety, the first thing he did was run screaming to, I guess, spy Richardson. And there were three guys spying him, so the receiver had kind of an open floor over the middle. And, of course, with Philly last year, you saw that all the time. Yeah, and and that's the thing. I mean, look, you know, I've spoken to coaches and – and this is just the reality of life. Jalen Hurts improved dramatically last year, yes. uh, clearly. Um, but the Eagles are not one of those teams. It's not like the old, you know, Mike Martz offense where there's a thousand concepts that you have to master. The Eagles pass game does not have to be that way simply because of, of Hurts as a runner. What it does to the defense can actually simplify your offense and at the same time make it better. And that's, in a sense, exactly what what happened in Philly, and that's what they'll strive to get accomplished in Indianapolis, which is why I personally believe Richardson will start from day one. Yeah, and when we say this about, you know, simplifying the passing game, we're not it, – it's not an indictment of Jalen Hurts. I would say that with his running ability and the ability to be this the whole, like, epicenter of the system, it would border on coaching malpractice to give him an Andrew Luck, Bruce Arians playbook when Correct. you need to. You know, you don't no, need to – burden him with all that stuff because he's so explosive in so many different ways. And and it, the impact it has on defensive alignments and, and yes. responsibilities is what allows you to run, and I hate the word basic because that people get the wrong impression, but it allows you not to have to have that expansive playbook. You can run the same kinds of things over and over from different looks, different formations because of the Hertz factor. Hertz is the reason for this. They're hoping that Richardson will be the reason for it in Indianapolis. And, you know, you, you, you get busted coverages with that. Uh, I remember going back to people trying to play man against Colin Kaepernick. Remember that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> for 60 yards. You can't, you, it, it takes certain things out of your playbook when you have a quarterback who can be that type of runner. So yeah. Very yeah you got to be careful about playing, you know, even on third down now, I, I had mentioned normal down and distance, but even on third down, you have to be careful about man coverage or how you play man coverage, um, whether you want to use a spy, whether you want to change your rush because you don't want him to escape. Um, there, obviously, your point's a really good one. It does limit what you can do on defense. Right. Uh, and speaking of coverage, let's talk about press coverage. This is the press coverage portion of our program, Greg. And you and I have discussed on the X's and O's before that in today's NFL, with all the quick game, if you can't disrupt the receiver 
right off the line of scrimmage and press, you're going to give up a lot of easy completions and it's not going to go well. So this may be the best scheme fit overall in the entire draft to me is Maryland cornerback Deontay Banks goes to the New York Giants. If there's two things we know about Wink Martindale, their DC, he loves to blitz and he loves to run man and he loves to run press man. And of course we should specify that there is not, you can play press coverage and, and not play man. But if we're talking about, Press corners last year and how I charted it, uh, Deontay Banks gave up nine catches on 23 press targets for 48 yards. And his press reps were hilarious to watch. It was just rip after rep of receivers getting enveloped. And Banks, he has the aggressive mentality, the transitional athleticism and the pure speed to just shut opponents down. And, you know, the Giants put out a video of Wink Martindale, like, you know, chest bumping and high-fiving everyone after they made the pick. And I'm like, yeah, no wonder you're so happy, Wink. This is your guy. (laughs) Well, it's really interesting because the Giants last year, for much of the season, were right near the top of playing cover one. Um, And and that's man coverage with a single high safety, which obviously is a Wink Martindale staple. As the year progressed, though, when you start to get to week 13, 14, 15, they started to play less of cover one and a lot more zone. And I'm sure that was because he just felt like he didn't have the people to do it and to do it at the level that needed to be done, you know, to be successful. Um, But that's, as you well know, and you just mapped out, that's what he wants to do. That's his M.O. Uh, Certainly on on third down, long yardage situations, he's very good at at disguising pressures and, and he wants to pressure and he wants to play man coverage behind it. And Deontay Banks, to me, uh, you know, again, everybody has their own rankings of, of every position. I, I really like Deontay Banks. I thought he was the second best corner prospect overall in this draft class. Um, wow. And, and this guy is he's a press man corner. You know, you always love it when you can see a corner that you like against a really high level wide receiver. And, you know, obviously the game against Ohio State w- was, you know, very informative, really good matchup, both with Marvin Harrison, with uh, Ibuka, who's you know going to be probably a first-round pick as well next year, another five-star receiver uh, that Ohio State has. Um, you know, you're talking about a guy that has great length. He's got easy transition fluidity. I mean, he he plays with a swagger. Um, you know, I, I just really liked his tape a lot, and and you know, it, I think you're right. I think when he was available for them to take, they probably said, "Hey, that's our guy." I mean, it was when it when the pick happened. I remember because I wrote up the cornerbacks obviously before the draft, and I'm thinking, boy, he's he's the, who was your CB one by the way, Gonzalez? Gonzalez, yeah. So uh, and Deontay Banks was two. That's interesting. Um, I I you know did all my work. And I'm like, oh, best press cornerback in this draft. So when the Giants took him, like, yep, okay, next <laughs> check mark. Um, yeah. So the Cowboys last year ranked second in defensive DVOA, which is football outsiders opponent adjusted metric, but they ranked 23rd in power situations, uh, 16th in stuff rate and 15th in second level yards allowed. Um, when Osa Odigizuo was not on the field, the interior defensive line uh, that Dan Quinn had was not necessarily, how should we put this great? So they get uh, Michigan defensive uh, tackle Mozzie Smith. I mean, he can play. He's he's an inside guy. He's six uh, six three three twenty three. Reminded me of Don Terry Poe. And one of the things I liked about Smith's tape, and I want to get your take on this. Um, the Cowboys stunted a ton last year because they kind of had to. 
Um, and Dan Quinn, you know, he likes to get the fronts in kind of a Petri dish thing anyway. Uh, I know that from his time in Seattle. So Mozzie Smith had uh, 12 of his 25 quarterback pressures last season came on some kind of stunt or game. And I'm thinking to myself, imagine him as the penetrator and Micah Parsons as the looper. Good luck with that. Uh, what are your thoughts on Mozzie Smith? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, they're moving Parsons basically to defensive end, which I personally right. think is the right idea because yep. I, I just remember even going back to his rookie season when they moved him to defensive end basically out of necessity. And after two, three weeks, I was just saying that this guy's the best pass rushing edge pass rusher in the league right now. So I think that's the right move. But Smith, to me, was someone you had to watch full games because, yes. you know, People are going to look at, you know, I saw on, on on Twitter, of course, social media, not only when he got drafted, but leading up to the draft that, well, you know, he doesn't have production. Well, production for interior defensive tackles is an odd thing. Obviously, if you don't have a lot of sacks, people might view that as not having a lot of production. But, you know, not a lot of interior defensive tackles have high sack totals. So you have to and watch. One, just to break in, the ones that do are generally schemed up to do it. They're, they're yeah, with, very, with few exceptions. You know, obviously, we don't want to start comparing people to Aaron Donald, one of the greatest right. of all time. But for the most part, you're right. That's a great point. Um, but, you, you know, I ended up watching a lot of games because, number one, they had three guys that I wanted to see. But Mozzie Smith was really fascinating to me because you're dealing with a guy that is 323 pounds, really good arm length. I mean, he played like an athlete. He is quick. Yes. He's fluid yet he was big enough and stout enough to dominate physically with strength to control and displace. Um, but when you watch the tape, he was a very good pass rusher. He yes. just didn't get sacks. Now, people might say, well, that, that means he's not you know, finishing. Well, no, you can, you can win, and the ball can be out for various reasons, or the quarterback can move and something else can happen on the play. But he won a lot as a pass rusher. Yes. And as I said, you had to watch games to see that because it did not show up on a stat sheet. And it's funny you mentioned the uh, the games because he was actually featured as a looper on TT yes. stunts, tackle, yes. tackle stunts. And he really showed excellent short area burst and even a little bend in closing speed. So you made the point that he can be a penetrator and Parsons can be a looper. And there's no question that will happen because uh, Parsons is one of the most explosive athletes in the game. But this kid can also be a looper, and he showed the ability to do that. He hurried C.J. Stroud on a play where he was, I believe, head up over the center, looped all the way around Paris Johnson, and got back in the backfield and hurried Stroud out of the pocket. Like, And that's where I started to think, Don Terry Poe, like, people this big, this is planet theory now, people this big don't move this fast. So, yeah, he's uh, – and knowing what I know about Dan, he's going to love that guy. Yeah, uh, no, and he – I mean, in an ideal world, they would like him to be a starter from day one. Yeah. And obviously there's many variables that go into that, but that's the hope. When we're looking at the rest of their interior defensive line, I think that's the variable right there. <laughs> yeah. They're going to need him quickly. Um, more press guys, Greg. Uh, the Steelers, who wanted to play a lot of press last year, did okay with it. But they went into this, uh, this particular draft with a DNA that they wanted big – pterodactyl-like wingspan cornerbacks, and they got two of them in Joey Porter Jr., uh, 32nd overall pick, first pick in the second round, and then Corey Trice from Purdue, who they got in the with the 241st pick in the seventh round. And we don't box score scout, but I want to give you a couple press numbers for these guys. 
Porter last year led five catches on 13 targets and press for 63 yards. This included, and I'm sure you've seen it, the 11-yard 11, the 11 in-cut to Marvin Harrison Jr. where Harrison caught it, but it wasn't easy because Porter was just all over him. And then Trice was in press on seven of 40 targets last year. He allowed nothing. The only catch allowed when Trice was in press was Trice's interception in the red zone against Syracuse. So these two guys, it is very clear, and Terrell Austin and Mike Tomlin both said, you know, we look at guys who can play press. This is what we wanted. This is what we went for. They went after it aggressively, and I think they probably hit a couple of home runs here. Yeah, and, and again, a lot of people listening probably know about Porter, so I'll start with Trice. Yeah. Trice I watched, and I thought he was better than where he was drafted. I guess only time will tell. But Because normally 6'3 and 3'8", 206-pound corners who play press get drafted higher. And again, we're not we're not uh, going to decide what his future is going to be based on a short shuttle time, but his short shuttle time was under four. That I is think it was the injury history that dropped him. Yeah. As far as uh, I know. And maybe that could be true, but, you know, for a guy with that kind of length and his short shuttle time of 3.96 is ridiculous. I mean, his athletic testing numbers were really, really good. I mean, you're talking about a height and length corner, and and this guy's a press man corner. You know, I I thought he was a really interesting prospect. Um, as I said, surprised he got drafted where he did. There were a number of corners in this draft. I was surprised they were drafted where they were. But hey, that's the way a draft sometimes works out. Now he's by no means a perfect corner. I don't want people to think I that I thought he should have been a top twenty pick. You know, but, I, I did have a number of weaknesses on my evaluation sheet, but. You know, obviously the size almost six forty started out as a safety before moving to corner anyway. So that was really interesting. And then you get Joey Porter, who, you know, some people might have felt a dropped because he was the first pick on on the second night. I mean, he's your prototypical height, weight, speed corner prospect. Yeah. I mean, his arm length of thirty four is ridiculous. Longer um, than Peter Skoransky. Longer than a lot of offensive linemen. That's correct. Right more than an inch longer than P almost two inches longer yeah. than Peter Skaronsky, which is kind of silly. Um, uh, and, and he's, he's a press man corner. Uh, that's what he is. I mean, he's another guy that's, you know, he's over six, two, um, you know, he plays with a little bit of a swagger. He's got a great playing personality, as I say, um, you know, he used his long arms and his physicality to squeeze receivers out of bounds, particularly when he was the boundary uh, corner, which I, you know, I think in this league, he fits that role of a boundary corner where those guys, just like offenses say you need a boundary X receiver for your pass game to really be as expansive as you want it to be. You know, a yeah. guy who can win one-on-one as a defense, you want a corner that can prevent that from happening, a boundary corner, you know, to, to cover the boundary X receivers to the short yes. side of the field. Porter is that guy. Now, where your, your favorite guy, Gonzalez, by the way, is incredible at that. You throw, yes. you throw a fade. No, don't. Just don't do it. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, the Steelers obviously – by they're telling us what they want to do defensively in yep. the secondary by who they drafted and by who they let go, you know, because Cameron Sutton was not that guy. No. Good player, but not that guy. No, no. Speaking of letting people go and telling you what they want, uh, so the Raiders take Michael Meyer, traded up to get him, I believe, 34th, 35th overall pick in the second round. This is about where I thought he should have gone. I think you and I discussed this. And I, think I would agree. Crazy. Yeah. Um, but – so Josh McDaniels comes in and, you know, Josh is not going to be shy about this is what I want. And this is what I don't want. And if you're what I don't want, get out of here. Uh, Darren Waller kind of got in his doghouse for whatever reason. They trade him to the Giants and they, they get um, Meyer, who's 
I think people don't think of him as an explosive play tight end, but he had, he led all tight ends in this class with eight receptions on passes of 20 or more air yards. So he can do that. But what Dave Ziegler said about him, the GM was it's the overall skill set. It's getting open in short spaces. It's, you know, winning on third and six. And I went back and watched all his touchdowns and that's where mayor I think can be really effective in what Josh wants to do. He, it, seems to me, and you might disagree, he almost wants the guy who can win at all three levels of the field, as opposed to like Waller, who can just take off and scald the safety, you know, 30 yards up the seam. Yeah. Meyer was a fascinating watch for me because you have to watch a lot of him because his he's not a natural athletically explosive guy. He you know, kind of rumbles. He doesn't he he's not athletically impressive on tape. No, I would agree with that. And that's why you've got to keep watching him, which you know you and I do. Um and you you probably wouldn't describe him as smooth and fluid, but he certainly has a refined sense and feel for how to use his vertical stem. Plus, he's kind of subtle and nuanced with his head feints, and he does have kind of deceptive short area quickness and and that functional play speed. Like, he's not going to really run by you, but he is a three-level guy, even though he's not necessarily just going to line up and see, and stretch the seam. You know, he's just not that guy, and he's dominant at the catch point. That's yes, I think that's absolutely. what's really important. He is that dominant that, that showed up. Point. That was like his primary attribute to me. He'll just yeah, body I him. Mean, you know, the more I watched Meyer, and, and again, I watched him a while ago, so I noticed well after I made this comparison in my mind, you know, when I make a comparison, as you know, Doug, I don't run to Twitter and put out my comparisons, you know. Why not? I, I know. I don't do that. But because um, I probably watched him two months ago, and I said he reminded me of Jason Witten when Witten came out yeah. of Tennessee. You know, obviously, Witten's going to be a Hall of Famer, and, it you know, it's easy to say, well, gee, you know, Witten's great. Well, Witten, when he came out of Tennessee, no one thought he'd be Jason Witten. You know, he was a third-round pick. He was the 69th pick overall. You know, it's just like George Kittle. George Kittle was, what, a fifth-round pick? Um, You know, sometimes guys turn out to be really, really good players. But that's – but even Witten in his prime, you didn't watch Witten and go, man, that guy's an explosive athlete. He was just a really, really good football player. I think my Meyer, comp was Jason Witten. Yeah, it was my TE three, and my comp was Jason Witten. Uh, I I I kind of thought Ertz, and then that nah, Ertz was a little more explosive. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, to me, you can make the argument that Witten and, and Myers' uh, um, overall athletic and physical traits were somewhat similar. Um, but uh, but I think he's going to be a good player. He may not be unbelievable early, you know, but I think he's going to be a good player. And I think he's going to be one of those guys that when it's third and seven, he's going to catch an eight yard ball for a first down. Another guy he reminds me of uh, uh, just in, in potential value is Jay Novacek. And I remember Troy Aikman saying, oh, yeah. we like when Jay, when Jay retires, I'm retiring. I don't want to be on the field without this guy. Novacek was a little more athletic. Be, yeah. yeah, I know. But just the, the overall principle of he could be that valuable to his quarterback. And correct. Because Novacek didn't catch, you know, 90 balls, but he was obviously critical to that offense. Yep. I uh, want to finish with, uh, of course, it's the Seahawks, and, of course, it's two running backs they took because they're the Seahawks. Um, Big surprise there. Very, 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 could not be more different. Uh, Zach Charbonnet, or as we said yesterday, Chardonnay. Um, I have to find out for my wife which, which cheese goes with the Charbonnet. And then uh, Kenny McIntosh. They got Charbonnet with the 52nd pick in the second second round and McIntosh with the 237th pick in the seventh round. 
Um, my comp for Charbonnet was an embryonic Marshawn Lynch, so no surprise he went there. I want to give you a couple numbers on McIntosh real quick. Ranked seventh among FBS backs last year with 42 catches on 49 targets for 509 yards and two touchdowns. His 12.1 yards per reception average ranked first among FBS backs. So 12.1 yards per reception, 12.3 yards per reception after the catch. So he's not spinning downfield. He's getting the ball, and he's kind of exploding into space. And he had six explosive plays. As a receiver last year, I believe three were from the slot. So he's a – I mean, Chardonnay, Chardonnay, I think we kind of know what he is. Kenny McIntosh, though, he's an interesting guy in that Shane Waldron offense. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, I I made the point that what stands out most watching his tape is his receiving ability and the location versatility within the formation that he brings to an offense. He can line up in the backfield. He can detach from the formation. He can run routes at all three levels. Um, You know, again – because he's not a great runner per se, oh, he's not a bad runner, but that's not his thing relative to his receiving. There's they didn't always get a him for that. What's that? They, didn't, they already have Ken Walker. They didn't get him for that. No, they didn't get him for that. And obviously they'd already drafted Charbonnet, so they, they certainly knew that McIntosh was not being drafted to line up and then be a runner unless people get injured. But right. he's a really fascinating guy. He could step right in and become the third down back. I mean, you know, my thought was he'd be most effective running out of 11 personnel spread formations. You know, it's going to be interesting with this team as a whole, um, because as you know, about 40% of their snaps a year ago, they played with multiple tight ends. Mm -hmm. And Pete Carroll made a point after the draft to talk about, Oh, we love our tight ends, you know, because he didn't want, I guess, those guys to think that they're being phased out. But, But to me, and again, not that we're talking about Smith Najigba, but you don't draft Smith Najigba with the 20th pick in the draft to have him play 12 snaps a game. So it's going to be really interesting to me to see if they make a, a subtle or not so subtle transition to playing more snaps of 11 personnel, in which case McIntosh could become an interesting player in the context of that offense. Well, I, I was watching his tape and I was thinking of how, uh, and this is just my thought, that Sean Payton helped invent the nickel-based defense by taking Reggie Bush from the from the backfield to the slot. And your third linebacker is like, uh-oh, what do I do now? Um, they can kind of do that with him. Um, so, yeah, interesting. And, yeah, your, your, your three receiver sets are DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Then if you don't have any tight ends on the field and a back and you put uh, – you know, or two backs, Macintosh in the slot, and things get very interesting very quickly. Yeah, yeah, and whereas Charbonneau is a totally different animal. Charbonneau is a runner, and actually he's not a bad receiver, but he's not an explosive receiver. Um, no, he's good on swings and screens. The yeah, release yeah. that's a little weird, but, you know. That, but, that, I mean, that, we, know how Pete, got him. we know how Pete Carroll wants to play. Yep. They have Kenneth Walker, who is, is a really good mix of being able to run inside mm-hmm. and then – kind of find open space and and really take it to the house. Right. Charbonnet's not necessarily a take it to the house back. He's much more of that decisive, physical, powerful, competitive downhill runner. He's got sustaining traits. Um, right. You know, he gets hard yards, which, you know, Pete loves that, and you have to do that in the NFL, certainly if you're going to run the ball. You know, you've got to be able to have a back who, when it's blocked for three, is going to get six. Charbonnet's more of that kind of back. Um, you know, Obviously, he was a volume runner in college, and certainly in his last two years at UCLA. He's not going to be a volume runner with the Seahawks no. unless Kenneth Walker were to get hurt, um, but he's going to get snaps, and uh, you know he's the kind of big physical back that Pete likes. 
It kind of reminds me of when the Broncos had Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. Not that Charbonnet is Javante Williams because Javante Williams is an absolute freak, but that sort of thing, that sort of usage. Yeah, so we'll see how that works out together because where did they draft Charbonnet? Third round? Second. Second. So, again, you know, you draft a guy. Like a year in a row they drafted a running back in the second round. Yeah. You know, it's going to be interesting. I mean – Look, you, we just mentioned Smith and Jig, but first round. Charbonnet, second round. I'm not – look, we have no idea how this is going to play out. But, again, second round is a high pick. I, you don't draft Zach Charbonnet in the second round to have him, you know, get on the field for eight plays. No. You know, so it's going to be very interesting how they work Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet in the context of their offense. And one final thought here, this is, I mean, he's a good back, but he's not Bijan Robinson. He's not Jameer Gibbs. He's not a, an offensive weapon. Like when you try and ex, quote unquote excuse taking a running back eighth or 12th overall, you kind of have to say, well, he's an offensive weapon. You can do all this, whatever. Um, I mean, he's, he's actually better. He, 6.9 yards per carry outside the tackles last year. He's a better, you know, speed guy than people might think, but that's not really who he is. No, so, no, no, no. I mean, he's not more that... of a thunder and lightning thing than, you know, we're going to put right. him outside. Yeah, he's not that second and third level breakaway speed guy. You know, he's not necessarily a big play runner. You know, he's 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 not that guy. But, I mean, he is – but he's tough to bring down. He yep. runs through contact. He gets tough yards. Um, he knows how to run. I mean, I just felt watching him that – he was a better runner than athlete. Like I thought he knew how to run. I thought he understood blocking schemes. I thought he had a great feel for how gaps change once the ball snapped. I thought he just knew how to run. The the contact power uh, and the lateral agility and sort of the wide running style, that's where I thought of Lynch. Not that he is Lynch because you have to make that point with all comparisons all the time. Um, but that was another one like Deontay Banks from the Seahawks took him like, oh, <laughs> duh. Just makes sense. You mean the Giants, Deontay Banks to the Giants? You said to yeah. the Seahawks, yeah. Uh, and when 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 the Seahawks took Charbonnet, it was the same thing. Like, yep, there we go. Um, yeah, I mean, in some ways, he's Chris Carson, you know. And, yes. And yeah. So and Carson, who was either a, he was a late round pick, I believe, and had three or four years there where he was just just what Pete wanted. I mean, he was averaging yeah. four, five, four, six yards per rush. You know, Carson yeah. was was a really good back in their system. And I mean, this is conservative. For, you remember they took Rashad Penny in the first round. We I know him. what. <laughs> I know. Okay. Well, Penny well, has Greg, more juice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, Greg, you are a, a big play runner for us as always. Uh, we always appreciate the time and the insight, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Doug. Thanks.